Welcome to the Cybersecurity TLDR show, where we save you time by providing you the too long didn't read summary of cybersecurity topics and news. You can find us on YouTube with video and all the popular podcasting platforms for audio on the go. Now let's get over to your host, John Good. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm your host, John Good, and this is your Threat Intel Briefing for February 5th, 2023 through February 11th, 2023. If you're watching on YouTube, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. That way YouTube knows to push out this content to other people and that you enjoy the content. And then if you're listening on podcasting platform, make sure to subscribe and leave us a review. Let us know if you enjoy the show, if you want to hear other things or see any other kind of content on the channel as well. And then also check out the, the description because there will be a link to the show notes. So you can look into the articles a little bit more, read up the full article, as well as read some of the other articles that we didn't have time to cover, but they were still notable and they were still articles that we considered for the show. Without any further delay, we're going to go ahead and we're going to jump into the first article here. So first article, Armo integrates ChatGPT to help users secure Kubernetes. Armo, creator of open source Kubernetes security platform, Cubescape, announced today, so this was the other day, that it has integrated ChatGPT's generative AI into Armo platform. With Armo custom controls powered by ChatGPT, users can quickly build custom controls based on open policy agent OPA to solve their unique security needs. They can run, uh, can run them to ensure their Kubernetes clusters and CI/CD pipelines are secure, correctly configured, and compliant with security policies. Open Policy Agent OP, uh, OPA provides a standard for security policies, which can be constructed using the Rego declarative language. However, Rego is not widely uh, widely known language, and using it can be complicated and confusing. So. This is kind of that AI train, right? The AI bandwagon. Uh, one of the things in security in general, right, that we're trying to push towards, that we're trying to constantly get towards and move towards is the whole idea of automation, right? Typically and traditionally with security departments, we're pretty low staffed. We have relatively low funding compared to things like IT, right? We don't have nearly as many people and we have a certain uh, set of things that we have to do and we have to monitor a lot of different things right we get a lot of data we have to decide what is what is relevant what is malicious and we have to do this pretty quickly and then we have to act on that right so that's why there's a push towards automation because we want to identify kind of those minor things or those routine things that we can quickly and easily identify we can use a computer identify that stuff and it will you know it will be able to respond ideally but at least it'll be able to take some action or do something in an automated format because again we don't have that many people we have less than a lot of other departments so we have to really be careful with how we spend our time so that's why this whole push is really happening now with increases in regulations and laws and you know, really all this different stuff, all these different systems that we have to watch or have to maintain and bring in data from, you know, it's a lot, right? So the more that we can get to that point and use automation, the better, right? And we've seen a lot of this uh, shifting left, it's called, where, for instance, in software companies and, you know, high moving, uh, rapidly moving agile companies, 
where we want to really get a lot of that security embedded from the start and in that process, in that pipeline, so that as things are developed, they're constantly checked for security, they're passing through these decision gates or approval gates because they're checking for things like vulnerabilities and malicious code in there or common problems. And then in certain instances, depending on what it is, depending on your policies, you might actually block that software from going through if it has certain things, right? So maybe a certain level of vulnerability or a certain type of malicious uh, code vulnerability. Maybe it has like SQL injection and that will automatically fail. So that's kind of the whole idea with this. And then a lot of the policies, right? Policies are very hard to manage. They're very hard to monitor and control and make sure all your systems are actually getting all your policies and configurations. But again, that's that whole push towards that automation and infrastructure as code because it just makes it repeatable. It makes it consistent results in your environment. And overall, it's just a better way to go. So very interesting area of cybersecurity. Definitely recommend you get into that uh, if you're interested in a really emerging area. But then also the use of things like artificial intelligence, right? So chat GPT actually being able to integrate with a platform like that, right? And it's not so much the fact that it's chat GPT, right? It's just the idea of, in general, the idea of being able to embed or integrate a system like that with something that we already have or that we're already using. So chat GPT, you know, specifically, Microsoft is obviously putting a bunch of money into that. And, you know, that's a pretty good player in the space. But um, it's this whole move to automation that we're really, really focusing on. So very, very cool. Uh, next article, 95% of organizations say multi-cloud is strate a strategic priority, but only 58% have the security architecture to support it. Uh, Valtix, the industry's first multi-cloud ne uh, multi network security platform as a service today, so a few days ago, announced findings from its two, uh, 2023 multi-cloud security report, which found that 95% of companies are pushing towards a multi-cloud environment, but only 58% believe that they have a security architecture to support it. So that's really, really important, right? You can't just go out and push all the security in the world to your platform, to your organization, if you can't support it, right? Like if you don't have the architecture, the configurations to support that kind of deployment. The survey found that multi-cloud activity continues to rise, with 93% of correspondents currently having workloads and data on more than one cloud. Of those not yet in a multi-cloud environment, a full 94% expect to be multi-cloud within the next 12 months. Companies are bracing multi-cloud twice as fast this year compared to Valtrix year ago, uh, Valtrix year ago serving. At that time, only 62% of organizations were multi-cloud with 84% expecting to get there within two years. So we're having companies really, really invest and really, really looking to push towards having multi-cloud environments. So instead of just being dependent on, for instance, AWS or GCP or something like that, they're trying to bring in multi-cloud multi uh, environments, so multiple uh, vendors. According to the survey, organizations cited several unintentional factors that have accelerated their journey to a multi-cloud environment, including one, shadow IT at 51%, two, different ISVs that support different clouds, 40, uh, 48%, and number three, mergers and acquisitions at 47%. And then some of the other findings that they had, 
cloud service providers, CSPs fail to define portability standards. Multi-cloud is a budgetary drain. It's expensive. The rise of the cloud security architect, uh, the role, and then cloud security posture management viewed as a commodity. So yeah, anytime you're going to expand and build in redundancy or different vendors of similar products, you're obviously gonna increase cost, right? Like that's just how it is. You can't just bring in another vendor and then expect costs to go way down because you brought in another vendor, right? You have another service. Um, and so I would say that, you know, really with a lot of environments, the more secure you try to get them, a lot of times that's going to just naturally increase cost, right? The comparison I like to use is the risk management framework from NIST, which if you're not familiar with it, I would definitely go check that out. It's a really good framework for anybody to kind of be familiar with. You work in the GRC space, the gov uh, governance, risk, and compliance space. You work in the DOD space or anything like that, then you're definitely going to be familiar with it. But it's a very encompassing kind of architecture or framework for cybersecurity, and it covers a whole bunch of different things, right? Physical security policies, forensics, incident response, and all this stuff. And the reason why I bring that up is because that is, again, a very encompassing framework is very expensive to implement it in its entirety, right? Even to get close to its entirety, it's gonna be an expensive venture. You know, if you have a decent sized network environment, it's gonna, it's gonna cost a little bit. <laughs> and then if you're having to do it in one environment and then you wanna do it in another environment, that's obviously gonna dr dramatically increase the cost, right? Because you're increasing your, your cloud space. And then also any kind of tools that you have, for instance, a tool like Splunk, right? The charges based on how much data you index, how much it ingests into the tool. Well, that's gonna increase your cost. You're gonna have more systems, more IPs, whatever, right? Like it's gonna, it's gonna increase that. But you know, from a career standpoint, this is kind of why it's a good idea to diversify yourself a little bit, especially if you're not in an organization where you're getting more and more skills in a certain cloud vendor, then it's good to kind of diversify and have multiple cloud experience. Now from just a general cloud experience and cybersecurity uh, job outlook, right? Knowing one cloud is great, right? If you know one cloud, you're gonna be ahead of a lot of people. If you know multiple clouds, that's helpful, but you know, typically it's really good to know one cloud provider or one vendor really well and then kind of be able to add on other vendors if you need to because a lot of times they do things similarly right and this reminds me of networking with certifications in networking and network engineering right we all know cisco we know that they're a major player but then there's also things like juniper right and i remember this when i was coming up and learning my ccna and doing all this kind of stuff but being a super generalist, especially like in a networking world, cloud world too, right? A little bit different kind of environment, but same kind of idea, right? Nobody really wanted somebody with a CCNA and then whatever the equivalent is for uh, Juniper, right? Like they didn't want somebody with those two associate level certifications because as a network engineer, you just, you don't know enough about one of them to really be a solid contributor at a network engineering kind of level, right? They much 
would they would much rather prefer you get like a CCMP working up to that level and getting that. And then if you need to, then getting, you know, the, the Juniper equivalent. Or if you went with Juniper, you know, getting up to that professional level and then getting like a CCNA. So, I mean, I'm not going to really talk about like the differences between the two or why I would go one way or another. But that's kind of the general idea, right? You want to be very, very comfortable and very proficient in one so that you can take those skills and you can really talk about those skills if you go to a company that's just using AWS or GCP or whatever it is, right? Whichever cloud provider, then you're going to be comfortable in that environment. And if you don't know their environment, but you know another cloud provider, you probably can pick up things pretty quickly if you either needed to in order to land a specific job or if you went into a job, for instance, and they're like, okay, we're going to actually start doing multi-cloud or we're just going to transition to another cloud provider and we need you to get spun up on that. We're pretty confident that you can because you learned AWS or whichever one, right? So really, really, really important. I know kind of a, kind of a tangent on a career aspect, but it is really relevant, right? Especially with this cloud security architect role, that role really is growing and it's, uh, you know, in the industry. And that's because we need, in general, we need people that are knowledgeable about cloud. We need people that know how to architect cloud environments, how to secure them, how to actually deploy them, right? Like these are all different skill sets that are very valuable to have. So keep that in mind as you uh, progress in your career. All right, next article, Alibaba test chat GPT style tool as AI buzz intensifies. Alibaba Group on Wednesday said it's developing a chat GPT style tool it currently is in test internal testing, joining a race by tech companies globally to show that they're up to speed on generate, uh, generative artificial intelligence or AI developments. The Chinese e-commerce group statement came after the 21st century uh, Herald newspaper reported that Alibaba is developing a chat GPT-like dialogue robot, which is currently open to employees for testing. The company said that it had been focused on large language models and generative AI for a number of years. Large language models are natural language processing systems, which are trained on massive volumes of text and are capable of answering and comprehending questions as well as generating new text. Shares of Chinese search engine giant Baidu jumped up by 15% on Tuesday after it said it planned to complete its Ernie bot in March. Google owner Alphabet Inc. is also planning its own chatbot service and said it will use more artificial intelligence for its search engine. So we talked about Baidu last week and how they're working on their chatbot. Again, they're calling it Ernie according to this uh, article, but Alibaba trying to get into the game, right? There's a lot of companies that are trying to get into this artificial intelligence game. Now, why does that matter? Well, with artificial intelligence, right? It, is, it gets better the more information that it has, right? So that's why these massive providers like Google, right? That's why they are an extreme, have an extreme advantage and kind of a moat if you're familiar with business terms because basically in order to get these systems really, really smart and really intelligent, they need a ton of data. How many people go to Google to search, right? Like a ton, a massive amount. 
Plus they have things like YouTube and, you know, so they have all this data that they can really build out these kind of systems. Obviously we have ChatGPT with Microsoft and, you know, again, just another competitor, but it's gonna be really interesting kind of how this space plays out and which bot, which chatbot kind of becomes, you know, the big player. Because right now we have a lot of different tools that are kind of fighting against each other and trying to figure out which one's gonna be the best. One thing that this also kind of makes me think about is all this TikTok stuff, right? With, um, with the TikTok being uh, basically accused of providing information, privacy data to the Chinese government, right? Um, so obviously you have these different systems, these different chatbots that are collecting all this information, they're analyzing all this information, and then you have some that are coming out of China, there's some that are coming out of the United States, and there's probably others that are gonna come too, right? It's not just gonna be these few, few sets of tools. But, you know, that's potentially another concern, right? And that's probably gonna be a regulator concern because they're gonna be able to use a ton of this data because they just have this data and they're gonna acquire more and more most, most likely because they're gonna figure out what kind of data helps them even more to fine tune these kind of chatbot products. So definitely I would go check out ChatGPT if you haven't checked it out. Maybe check out some of these other ones. Be careful what you put in there, right? Because again, you know, this, these systems, they're gonna use that data that you give it to get better, right? And then you don't know really where that data is gonna go. So kind of important. Uh, let's see here. Britain and U.S. make major move against ransomware gangs by sanctioning seven individuals. United Kingdom and the United States on Thursday sanctioned seven people connected to what officials have told the record is a single network behind the Conti and Ryuk ransomware gangs, as well as the TrickBot banking Trojan. Sanctions are described as the first major move of a new campaign of concerted effort or concerted action between Britain and the United States and insiders say that further actions should be expected later this year. Sanctions mean that the individuals have their assets frozen and face travel bans, according to the British government. Joint action is the first public attribution by Western governments formally linking the Conti and Ryuk ransom gangs, ransomware gangs and the TrickBot banking Trojan to a single criminal organization. So, ransomware. Oof, ransomware is everywhere, right? But what we haven't seen, kind of like what this article is saying, we haven't seen uh, a very focused effort where they're really, where these governments are really able to pinpoint the people that are, you know, doing this, doing the ransomware, and then really just go after them full force, right? And this is kind of where we're starting to see that, right? We have started to see this escalate, you know, over the last couple of years because we've seen for instance, governments starting to implement uh, laws and regulations around how ransomware is handled. We saw in, for instance, like Australia, where they're actually saying you cannot pay uh, ransom, ransomware ransoms uh, or, you know, it's against the law, right? And so we're starting to see this ramp up. And I think we're going to continue to see more ramp up in all countries, right? Especially um, like first world, first world kind of countries, um, I, I think are probably going to lead the charge in this. So United States and a lot of the European countries, 
Um, but um, it, it's pretty interesting to see. I mean, if you're creating ransomware, guess what? Your time is going to be limited, right? Uh, these governments, they're going to come after you. And, you know, you've made it very difficult for a lot of organizations initially because a lot of people didn't know how to handle ransomware. They didn't know the channels to go through, who to contact, uh, some ways to maybe mitigate the possibility of a ransomware attack or create disaster recovery plans and business continuity plans. But, I mean, this should be a sign to you that you're going to start getting these law enforcement officials and governments coming after you. So, um, word to the wise, you know, start, start going on the, the good side of things, right? Help companies out with their cybersecurity. Stop trying to bring them down by doing things like ransomware. You know, that, that would be an ideal world. Is that where we're going to get to? I mean, there, you know, there's always going to be people that are going to do stuff that they shouldn't do. Um, but again, I mean, if they start coming after individuals and then you can't travel or go places, it's going to catch up to you eventually, right? And I guess, too, if you end up on a list like that and you find out, you know, you should be pretty, uh, pretty concerned and pretty uh, aware that, you know, they know what you're doing. So, yeah. Uh, next article, vulnerabilities could let hackers remotely shut down EV chargers and steal electricity. Two vulnerabilities in a commonly used networking protocol for electric vehicle chargers could allow hackers to remotely shut down charging stations or manipulate docking stations to recharge for free, according to a report from cybersecurity firm uh, Sailflow. Essentially, if a hacker exploits these two vulnerabilities, he, can, he or she can create a denial of service, which, could, uh, which would mean disrupting or disconnecting a single charger, or at scale, they could execute distributed denial of service, which could mean taking down and disconnecting all chargers connected to the network, said Ron uh, Tberg Shakar, CEO of Sailflow, which sells cybersecurity services to the EV charger market. Fix for the vulnerability is available, but uh, Tyberg Sh uh, Shakar pointed out that bergening, uh, the EV industry has been slow to deploy the update. So, yeah, think about that, right? So electric vehicles, they've got to charge, right? If you're in the United States and you're driving from California to Florida, right? You're gonna to have to recharge multiple times, obviously. But if you can't recharge and you're in the middle of the desert or something, you're stuck, right? Like what do you do, right? If the, if the charging station doesn't work, what do you do at that point? Um, that's a serious concern, right? We've had that with uh, gas stations too, right? A little bit different as far as how they're set up. But, you know, that's a real concern, right? If a gas station right now goes down and it's the only gas station on a stretch of highway, there's gonna be a lot of people breaking down. So it's a serious, serious issue and it needs to be resolved. And, you know, these charging stations, they have to focus on keeping things secure, right? If you allow something like this to happen, it's gonna be really, really bad for anybody involved. And um, you can never really predict some of these adverse consequences that are going to happen. But, you know, especially like in the desert and stuff, kind of like where I live, uh, 
that could be really bad, right? Like if you break down in the middle of the desert, you you might have a bad time, right? You might not have water. Uh, you might not have like air conditioning. You know, that that's a serious, serious concern. Same thing in cold weather areas, right? You get stuck in the middle of a snowstorm and you don't have heat. You know, that's going to be really bad. So, um, but, you know, we're seeing a lot of uh, vulnerabilities and things like that in the car space, in the uh, automotive space, which is pretty interesting thinking about, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, right? Where it was just regular gasoline cars, you know, automobiles, uh, trucks, things like that. And then now we have electric vehicles and we have to worry about the charging stations for these electric vehicles. That's pretty crazy, right? Definitely, um, it's definitely an evolution of, of how things are going in the world. So, uh, Elon Musk says Twitter will provide a free write only API to bots providing good content, and that's in quotes. Last week, Twitter said it's shutting down its free access to its API starting February 9th. So this did happen. Uh, now, days before the deadline, and this is a little bit older article, so um, this came out before this actually happened, but Elon Musk said that after getting feedback from developers, Twitter will provide a write-only API for bots providing good content that's free. This decision is, an opa uh, is as opaque as some of its other policy decisions under Musk's management. There's no information on what constitutes as, again, in quotes, good content, and who will decide that. However, if Twitter ends up implementing this rule, some bots will get a new lifeline on the social network. So one of the reasons why this is happening is because Twitter is notorious for having things like bots on their platform, right? And really just pumping out uh, false information or just massive bunches of spam information, right? And so Musk is really kind of trying to crack down on that and I mean, Twitter has a long ways to go, right? Like we all have known that Twitter has that issue and it's, it's not been a secret, right? And they really didn't do much to combat against it prior to Musk, right? So pre-Musk, um, but it'll be interesting to kind of see how this plays out and kind of some of the things that they do, the tweaks that they make in order to minimize a lot of that spam, a lot of this bot activity and hopefully clean up the platform and make it better overall. I mean, there's a lot of controversy with Twitter right now. Obviously, there's always a bunch with Elon Musk, but Twitter's kind of in this weird space where you know a lot of people aren't happy with Twitter. Elon Musk comes in and he's making a ton of changes and they're dramatic changes in a lot of cases. And people don't know really how to react, right? We don't know in 10 years if people are still gonna love Twitter, right? Facebook irritates people sometimes, but generally people still continue to use Facebook and it really, there's not really this mass exodus, right? Especially when Elon Musk started taking over Twitter, there was a lot of buzz about kind of a mass exodus off the platform. Obviously that didn't really happen because people are still on there, but we're just kind of waiting to see what happens, right? We're just trying to feel it out and see ultimately where things go. And then, uh, you know, if they go well, then we all stay on the platform. If they, you know, go really, really bad, well, we just, you know, kinda, kinda cut ties and keep on moving with our lives. So we will see what happens with that. 
So that is going to be the last article for this week. Again, this was your Threat Intel briefing for February 5th, 2023 through February 11th, 2023. Again, I'm your host, John Good. If you enjoy the content, make sure to like, comment, and subscribe. Either way, I'd love to hear your comments about uh, if you enjoy the show, you want to see other kind of content on the channel. If you're listening on podcasting platform, make sure to uh, subscribe and leave us a review. And then also check out the description because there'll be a link to the show notes where you can check out all the articles that we talked about as well as some of the other articles that uh, came out this week. But with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up for the week. Thank you for joining me and I'll see you next time.